Welcome to the Marketing Science Podcast, the podcast for sales and marketing professionals working within science, engineering, and healthcare. My name is Daniel Azel, your host for season four, and today I am absolutely delighted to be able to share with you a recent interview with Tracy Gay, Executive Vice President of Marketing at Serion Nanomaterials. In this episode, we'll be discussing all things nanotech marketing with a focus on the challenges of communicating about nanomaterials. I wanted to start off with uh, the audience. So you spoke about the importance of communicating with both technical and less technical audiences. I think you used highly technical and absolute generalist uh, <laughs> as your phrases. So, so what is the first steps in developing communication strategies for both of those two sort of personas? If you, if you yeah, know. absolutely. I mean, I think there's a couple of things that are critically important when you're developing your strategy. I mean, I mentioned mapping out messaging, value propositioning, providing a clear representation of what you do, how you do it, and what the value is to the to the customer audience. I mean, it's pretty simple. Always start with the customer. Um, say what you do and what value it provides to them. That will really help you develop the messaging. And the second part of that is really take a look across um, industry organizations, peers, um, key themes at trade shows and other um, webinars and at other public uh, events that are happening in the nanomaterials industry, that will help you develop strategically key themes where you import your messaging into those themes. You know, as I mentioned on the, on the presentation, um, we developed both technical and non-technical content. So we have a, a global trends theories series that's more of a thought leadership piece. And then we have articles on characterization and synthesis. So we do have some very technical content as well as some um, more co- content that's more interest-based and higher level. So that's that's kind of how we approach it. So when you're developing those different pieces of content, obviously you're thinking about the different audiences, but are you are you with your teams? Are you working on, uh, do you develop personas internally? Do you have, this is our um, this is our scientist persona, this is our product manager persona, C-level persona, et cetera, et cetera. And what sort of tools do you use to put those together? If yeah, so. so initially when we were developing kind of the overall messaging and value propositioning for the business when I came on board about three years ago, um, we kind of did a, a whole refresh, redo, relook at everything. So during that process, we did absolutely go about the process of developing each one of these personas um, in a brainstorming process with the entire team. So we had a technical representation, we had C-level representation, we had sales representation. So we went through a a whole brainstorming process to collect a lot of information. Um, We took that information and segmented it into those personas and then put into those personas kind of some key messaging, some key topic areas, some key sentences, some key phrases, key words that are important to each one of those. And from there, we kind of uh, kind of developed the messaging from there. I mean, there's absolutely, absolutely some, some common threads that you'll see um, as you develop messaging for each one of those. Um, but it is, it is pretty important to understand your audience and really develop and use that as a jumping off point. So you, you mentioned that you involved or you had the other departments and key stakeholders involved. How important is that, do you think, when yeah. you're developing the messaging? It's it's so important to really, I mean, for us, 
you know, our scientists are also our key audience. You know, they have that same mindset as the people that are coming to us for design services. So they really understand them because they are them. Um, so involving them in the messaging is it was critically important for us. And from a C level, you know, our, our CEO thinks about things in a different way, maybe than the sales and marketing team does, or than the scientists do. Um, so it was really um, key to involve everyone to get a, a different perspective for each person and each persona. And then do you, or would you recommend that companies continue to sort of have those meetings where you get everyone involved so you can learn new insights from your audience? Or do you have any particular sort of methods in place to, to get customer insights and things like that? Yeah. So from a customer insights perspective, we actually, um, we actually did a survey earlier this year to kind of validate some of the data points that we were seeing um, coming in um, as we, you know, kind of track our successes and our, and our not so good successes. So um, <laughs> some of the survey that we did, we put out, it really kind of asked folks how they like to receive content, right? We asked our key audience and our base, how they like to receive content and what topics were important to them. So along with a few other things, but those were the the key themes that we did throughout the survey to receive some of that feedback. And this is the first time we've done a survey. Um, so that really served to validate some things that we were doing and invalidate some things that we were doing. So that I think it's a really good way to get a at least a some kind of a an idea of what your base is thinking about. Sure. And were you surprised by the answers you got? Like, were there sort of um, internally held views that this is what our customers think, but then the insights told you something different? Or uh, I think it was, was very it, it was consistent with the data points that we were that we were getting, and consistent with the feedback that we were getting. So it was very very consistent. Great. Um, let's move on to the messaging. So we've got your sort of key audience all um, all set up. How do you you, you hear a lot about simplifying copies so that it's sort of like written at grade two level or something like that. I'm not sure I necessarily completely agree with that, but how can you simplify sort of core messaging so and while still coming across as authorities within your space? Absolutely. And I mean, it's so there's there could be two schools of thought there, really. I mean, it goes back to your initial value prop and building from there. So there are some core things that you do as a business really well, and those are the things that you talk about all the time you know, Syrian nanomaterials, custom design and manufacturing. It says what we do and who we are. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple when you think about it, right? Who, who you are and what you do. And what does that mean for your customers? But sometimes in this industry, you don't need to simplify the core message, especially if you're publishing, say, an article, a blog, speaking at an event. Chances are your audience is of the technical persuasion. So simplifying to a large degree, it might not even be necessary. So again, the messaging goes back to your audience. Sure. It's, it's interesting what you say about um, about like on websites, what you do, this is what who we are and what we do. Uh, I was reading something today which basically said you can have the nicest looking website in the world with all the different uh, widgets and whatever, but if it doesn't answer those two questions pretty quickly, then you're going to lose a lot of traffic um, very quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So one sort of common challenge that we we hear a lot here at Azo is that um, the internal experts aren't always the best communicators. And I know you talked a lot about media training that you do internally. Is that 
how you support your internal people? Is that the best way to, to make people better communicators? I mean, I think that's a good step in the right direction. I would absolutely recommend it, as I said in the presentation. I mean, it's, it, it really, one, helps to get your more technical folks comfortable with communicating because during that process, you're talking about the core messaging of the company and they don't hear that all the time. So it really gets them comfortable what the core messaging is of the company and they can weave that through. Um, as far as we're concerned, it's worth every penny to do that. But I mean, the best way to get them comfortable with communicating if they have an event that they are going to be presenting at, and typically us as the communications team are the ones that are putting them out there and signing them up for these events <laughs> so we know what they're going to be speaking on, help them outline ahead of time and practice, do some dry runs, walk them through the presentation, help them develop their presentation, you know, add those charts, add those images, help them juice it up a little bit so that they're feeling comfortable. They have a good presentation. They're feeling comfortable with the content and it's, and it's a really um, a good process for them. Develop some Q&A ahead of time that you think might happen during the event and really try to get them comfortable with answering those questions. So, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. Outline, practice, practice, practice. What about in the circumstances where they're going to be in front of a camera, say like on a webinar or they're doing a sort of a walkthrough video? Um, is it the same sort of stuff? Practice, practice, practice? It really is. Um, and for that type of a um, scenario, we will um, record it ahead of time. Um, a lot of time we'll record it ahead of time so that we can edit the video. And if they're uncomfortable with some of the language they use, they can do a redo. So that really has a tendency to work well with those folks and to get them over the nervousness because they're not natural communicators. Sure. Not something we can benefit from today, Tracy. So we'll have to be uh, extra careful with how we what we say uh, as we are coming out live to a global audience. You've got the internal experts. They help to build your authority within industries. What about external key opinion leaders? How important is it is it to work with with them when you're trying to get your communications across? I mean, I, I think it's it's a choice, um, and it's an internal choice if you're going to work with key opinion leaders. For us, this isn't the path that we've taken. Um, for us, what we found what's most impactful is customer testimonials, customer case studies, which we can't get for the most part or use because of the strict confidentiality confidentiality guidelines um, under which we operate as a business. So it's a huge challenge. So what we've done is developed our executive team as thought leaders. Primarily our CEO is a key opinion leader in the space. Um, right now he's the chairman of the Nanotechnology Industries Association. Um, we have him out front in a lot of keynote speaking engagements, um, articles, um, doing webinars, things like that. Um, he's been in the industry at Sirion for 13 years. So he is also very well connected in the industry, has a terrific ne network of kind of go-to folks, um, industry leaders, government regulatory folks, as well as industry associations, as I mentioned, um, which we partner with on, you know, events, webinars, sometimes in print pieces. So that's, that's the way we kind of use key opinion leaders, but we're really trying to develop them on our own internally. Cool. So let's talk a little bit, a little bit more about your CEO then, if, if, if we may. Um, sure. How much encouragement did, did they take for you to, to put, was it their idea or was it the communication team's idea? None at all. I mean, luckily, um, when I joined the company, 
a lot of those relationships were built well in advance. As I mentioned, I've only been with the company for three years. He's been here for 13. So that uh, he's really built those relationships and nurtured them with like companies and other industry leaders, regulatory folks. So those, those relationships were already built and it really did not take too much of a kick for him to get in front of audiences um, and do those things because he's just, he's very comfortable with, he's comfortable with the content. He's comfortable with the information um, and the accuracy of it. So, and we have a great product. So it's, it's, it's not hard for me to get him out the door. That's always very helpful when the product uh, does a lot of the speaking for you. Do you, as a communications team, plan the their sort of content strategy, or is it does it work both ways? Do they come to you and say, "Look, I want to do this event, et cetera, et cetera"? Um, we pretty much do the the groundwork, and the sales team um, has a big part of that, particularly when it comes to trade shows and other events and industry organizations that they think we should get out in front of. Um, so that's kind of. Uh, that's, that's kind of the way that, that we develop. I mean, the marketing team really takes the lead and has taken the lead on that. But if we are kind of thinking about something and not sure that it's going to play, we do go right back to them and say, hey, look, what do you guys think? We meet with um, our CEO once a month, our sales team once a month to just kind of go over results, go over what we're seeing, share ideas of, of what's next. And our content calendar is actually planned out for the entire year. Perfect. Um, so let's move on to content development. So we've got a good understanding of the audience. You you know you understand what they're after. You've got a great product. Uh, you've developed key messages and you've trained your internal teams. What do you do next when you're developing the content strategy? I mean, the strategy should naturally develop out of your groundwork. Um, if you put in the work to understand your audience, listen to your internal stakeholders, you should know where your audience is and how they digest content. What do they prefer? Webinars, articles, videos, email. How do they prefer to get the content delivered to them? Um, your topics will actually naturally develop out of that groundwork as well because you're talking to the key stakeholders in your business who are interfacing directly every single day with your customer base and prospects. So the topic areas will develop naturally out of that. And then it's a matter of being consistent. Make sure you're providing information consistently to your audience and via a number of different channels. And I mean, for us, it's really been about trying different things. And I am all about that. We've done a lot of testing over the past three years to kind of get us to where we are today and really understanding our audience. I mean, if you're just starting your program, I would absolutely recommend trying a number of different vehicles to deliver your content and see what works. So how do you develop a culture where testing is encouraged or, or does that come from that comes from you down towards the team or does it come the other way around? How does that work? I think it comes from all of us. I mean, it's, it's just kind of built in. I mean, we work for a science company, right? So testing is always <laughs> encouraged, um, proving out your theories. So yeah, so that's just something that that I'm a big proponent of. Our CEO is absolutely supportive and our senior team is supportive of the testing and trying different things. So luckily we do have that top-down support. I know a lot of, um, it's a challenge for communications folks in a lot of organizations, but we're very lucky to have that support to have the the C-level folks have the patience to let us test and try different things. Sure. So giving you the confidence to, if it doesn't work out, it's not going to be, the, no one's heads are going to it's be. It's not the end of the world. No, <laughs> it's not the end of the world. We need to know what's going to work. 
Sure. And that's usually when the best ideas and thoughts happen because you have that environment where you can test things Absolutely. out and get, get them the results. Absolutely. And um, so when you're developing for content, uh, sort of content for specific channels, you maintain, you want to maintain a consistency of message like you mentioned in the presentation. Yeah. Obviously there are different formats. So if you're on social media or if you're, if you're writing a, um, if you're writing a white paper or you're presenting in a webinar, these are all different formats that require sort of different types of content. So how do you maintain that sort of consistency of message? <sighs> I mean, it's, it really also, it, it comes down to your core message and being able to communicate it simply. And if you can't do that, you need to go drive back to the drawing board. I mean, if you can't say it in three or four words or less, then it's, it's too much. Your core message should always be your core message. Um, you know, do the brainstorm, do the work every month. My team gets together. Um, you know, we talk about how, how do we evolve? Is the baseline messaging still correct? Is it working? Looking at these, again, looking at the different vehicles and tactics that we're using and which messaging is resonating, what's causing people to convert, what's causing people to click through and really develop from there. Perfect. And and then one thing that we talk about here a lot is the sort of content creation element versus the distribution and how many how much resource should be put into into each we we run surveys all the time and most people are putting most of their effort into the creation aspects and then less right. so into the distribution is that the case would you recommend that is that the case at Serion, uh, what are your thoughts on it i think we put equal amounts of effort into creation and distribution i mean i think it's it's really important to develop good content but if you have the content and it goes nowhere and doesn't get to your key audience, I think you failed. Um, you really need to understand, again, where is your audience? How are they digesting content? And get yourself in front of them. Yeah, and we were talking just before we came on air about if you've got this quality evergreen content that you that exists, keep redistributing, keep distributing it, keep distributing because it's going to... Yeah, every, I mean, it's, it's, it's ongoing. It's, it's living content. I mean particularly particularly in this industry because I think the topics that you're talking about from a you know a chemistry perspective are evergreen <laughs> they're not going away um, the methodologies may improve there may be some new technical innovations that you want to talk about or share but I think for the most part the content can can live on yeah. Talk about your audience. You mentioned earlier about the audience and you did surveys and you basically asked them how they consume content and the sort of content they like. Um, is that something you do regularly or is that was that just a one-off and you use that as sort of the basis for the next sort of year yeah. or so? So this is the first time we did a survey in the history of the company to the customer base. But this is after, as I mentioned, like three years of testing and really trying to hone down our messaging um, hone the way that we deliver the content and really now validate what we're seeing in the data. So being patient, looking at the data, um, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a week. It doesn't happen in a month. It takes months to develop it. I think we'll probably do a survey every year to make sure we're still on track. So I think it would be an annual thing. Um, but it, it, this was the first one that we've done. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to take a couple of audience questions um, 
And then I'll come back to, I've still got a, a whole heap of questions for you, Tracy, a lot, a lot to get through. Uh, so there's been a question about 2D and 3D animation. And do you ever use 2D or 3D animation videos to explain uh, com complex concepts in nanotech? Is that something that you do? So I will tell you that we did try to develop kind of um, <laughs> kind of an animation video to talk about what we do. And we found it extraordinarily difficult to use animation so that it didn't come out too elementary, I guess, for the audience. So we find the written word um, for complex topics is, is, is really important with kind of illustration. So, you know, to go along with it if, if necessary. Um, but we did not really have success developing an animation. It just, it, we couldn't get the pieces to work. Sure. Uh, and then there's another question regarding social media. They're asking, do you recommend using Twitter, LinkedIn, et cetera? Yes. The short answer is yes. Use all of those. <laughs> and how much is, so you mentioned about the CEO. So we did a podcast a couple of years ago, about a year ago now, when we interviewed a guy who basically works about um getting CEOs into social media. Um, and he talked about some really interesting uh, case studies of how he's helped them to develop huge followings and and then drive revenue later on. So how involved are you with your sort of CEO's social media or is it all something they do themselves? And what is your sort of strategy company-wide social media? Yeah, so from a social media perspective, our CEO is very good at it. So he does his own social media. From a company perspective, the marketing team runs um, the company sites. And I mean, our strategy is really to be consistent. So we post two to three times a week. We try to post new content. We try to post interesting information. We try to get people to download information. Um, so we have some reference guides on our website. So we lead people back to the website to download those reference guides. So our strategy is just really around consistency and quality of information. And are you trying out or do you use any sort of other social media? So I think you'd be able to find some Azo Network TikToks uh, floating around in the in the clouds. Are you looking at anything at the moment? Anything different? No, I mean we're really trying to stick to where we think the audience is, and we do know Twitter and LinkedIn are are two um, two vehicles that we know our folks in our core audience that we want to get to utilize um, pretty regularly. Um, you know, we're going to be doing some things with Azo Network. Um, so we're, we're really looking at opportunities where our audience is. So we're just kind of connecting the dots and that's been over time. Uh, we've done some, some testing with some other media that really just, it didn't work out. So we know not to use that type of media again. <laughs> if you, if you are on TikTok, then do check us out. You'll be able to see me throwing lightsabers around yesterday. Um, or was it today? I can't remember. Um, it's been a long day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tracy, another question here about uh, integrating research evidence from nanomaterial field into your communication strategies or how do you approach that? I think you've covered that uh, pretty much already. Anything yeah. further to add to that? No, we, we, we operate because we're a services company. We're a company that, that makes materials specific for products or systems for our customers. So we operate under very strict confidentiality agreements. So any of the research results um, are never published by us. So the things that we talk about are methodology, what we do as a company, our capabilities as a company, 
and how our process works. Yeah. Uh, now, if we move on to uh, sort of future proofing, measuring success, things like that. So let's start off with how you measure success. So what sort of data points are you looking at that will help you to determine the success of your communication strategies? Yeah. I mean, we look at data points across all of our communications channels, um, from the website to social media, to more direct engagement, uh, trade shows, webinars, downloads. Um, the data helps us determine the demographics of our visitors, how engaged are they, how much time have they spent with our content, and if they come back. It helps us answer a few key questions. Are we hitting our target audience? How interested are they in the content? Um, and are we a resource for them? What content's the most popular? And what content is at the end of the day getting conversions and really a part of that customer journey? So we do. A, we are just starting to do some customer journey mapping. Um, I haven't talked about that at all during this conversation or the presentation, but that's something that's also pretty important. Once you get a little farther down the road in your program, is really understanding the points at which anyone who ultimately converts to a contact. Um, or a sales qualified lead, what's the path that took them there so that we see the patterns and which content is actually part of that conversion process and part of that customer journey. And then we develop other other pieces around that or similarly to those to those pieces. So is that something you've just done recently then or introduced recently, the customer journey mapping? Yeah, so that's something that we've just started kind of in the past six months or so is really understanding what the customer journey is. And it's 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 not as easy to do as you might think. We have all kinds of marketing technologies that we've implemented to help us do that, but it's it's still pretty difficult. Yeah, I, I think especially in these sort of complex buying journeys, people think yes. oh, they go from here to here to here and then they'll buy this product. But in reality, yeah. it's it's nothing of the sort, is it? It's like here, maybe a couple of years later, blah, 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 blah. Exactly. It's all over the, the place. The sales journey is a long one. Yeah. So you've you've enjoyed or you found interesting insights from mapping the customer journey so far? Has it been more of a challenge than than a benefit? Would you say? I mean, I think it confirms some of our suspicions about the way that our customers engage with us, <laughs> which is it's a long, convoluted process. So, so yeah, I mean, it's it's still a work in process, but I think we'll begin to understand more over the next few months as we, you know, really, I, I think. Technology is a big part of it and marketing technology and implementing systems and analytics that can help you track across the board um, and really consolidate that data and spit something out at the end that makes sense for you. So that's kind of what we're building. Yeah, it's making the sense of the data. That's the, that's Absolutely. the key. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a few more questions, guys. If you've got any more audience questions, please do throw those in the, the Q&A tab. I just want to draw everyone's attention to the handout section, which you can find Next to the Q&A tab, we've got some additional resources in there, some information. Um, you can also connect with Tracy on LinkedIn, um, and you can reach out to Tracy and discuss anything that we've spoken about uh, during the webinar today. Tracy, a few more questions, if that's all right with you. Sure, absolutely. Brand champions. How do we ensure that we have both internal and external brand champions? I mean, internally, it's really all about communication keeping the internal teams engaged in what we're doing, how we're doing it. I mean, we have company meetings. I mean, we're kind of a small-ish team, so it's really easy for us to have a lot of hallway conversations um, and engage with each other and collaborate. 
I mean, from an external perspective, there are two things, right? So from an external brand champion perspective, it's about customer success, really, right? Providing the best products and services. And at the end of the day, that's what that's what matters. Um, but the other part of being a brand champion, creating brand, external brand champions is really being a resource. And I mean, Azo Network knows this all too well, is really providing the content the information, the data that helps people make decisions um, or helps educate the audience. And I think that also creates brand champions. You mentioned you've got a smaller team, so it's it's fairly, or it's easier for you. It is. What, what would you recommend if if companies are working for huge sort of multinational companies, how, what sort of things can they, can they do? Is it just what you said, but on a bigger scale basically? It is. And I mean, I think a lot of those larger companies send out employee newsletters um, and send out internal communications. So if as the communications and marketing folks, you could plug into the internal communications team within the organization and get yourself um, a section in an employee newsletter. And I mean, at the end of the day, there are probably a handful of folks that you work with consistently on the marketing and communications team. So they're, they're your internal brand champions and they will propagate, you know, it'll go viral in your own company, right? So if you're working with a few people internally, um, they'll talk to a few people on their teams and they'll talk to some other people. So it, I think it really propagates itself internally, even if you're only working with a handful of people. But it's it's also important to really get engaged with your internal communications teams in larger yeah. companies. I work yeah. for Panasonic, so I absolutely <laughs> understand the challenge of working in a large company. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. What about, um, so obviously within nanomaterials, the policies are changing all the time. There's there's often sort of, I don't want to say mis- yeah, misinformation, essentially. Misinformation. What are the best practices for keeping up to date with latest industry news and also make, making sure that it's actually quality information that's being shared and how can you how can you make sure that you're, you're up to date with everything? I mean, just read. I mean, hit LinkedIn every day get connected with your peers and into peer groups, um, industry organizations, connect with them, um, read what they've going, got going on on their websites and get on their newsletter lists. The Nanotechnology Industries Association has a, um, a very strong regulatory team, particularly for the EU. From a regulatory perspective, I mean, that's, that's probably your best resource um, for information. Industry associations also um, publish articles from the members. So, you know, getting, you know, detailed information about what's going on in the industry directly from peer companies is, 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 a, great, is a great way to, to keep up to date. I mean, talk to your team, sales, technical folks. And if you have an internal regulatory team, they have a really good sense of what's new, what's topical, and what the buzz is and what might be coming down the pipe so you can be prepared for it. Perfect. Um, Tracy, I just want to finish off with a couple of, just two more questions. The the first one, a bit more about yourself uh, and your career. So can we talk about perhaps a sort of a biggest challenge you've had and how you've ever overcome it? Maybe a little anecdote about something that you could share with us? Sure. Sure. I mean, in a word, COVID. Um, I just started with Syrian. I started working at Syrian in November of 2019. Okay. Um, completely new industry, completely new company, understanding and, and learning. I was just getting up to speed and we just started mapping out all the key 
branding and messaging improvements that we wanted to implement and bang COVID um, a few months in. So talk about a challenge, um, you know, new member of a company, new industry. How do I continue to learn? How do I build out this program with only remote interaction with our team? It was a gigantic challenge, but I think what we, what we learned over time and what we decided to do was really focus on the things that we could make an impact with. And during COVID, the biggest impact that you can make is digital marketing. So we went about, you know, redoing our entire website. That's what we did during COVID and developing our digital advertising program and some webinars and other digital formats and partnering with some industry organizations to get our message out via webinars. So we, we kind of pivoted, I guess, and shifted and really said, okay, what's going to make the biggest impact for us? And it was the website. And it was, you know, optimizing and growing our digital presence. So COVID, obviously, something that hit everyone and it was, well, still is a crazy time. But as a leader within a new organization, how did you, how did you make sure that we're in a time of, this was obviously the, one of the biggest times of crisis. How did you make sure that your team remained calm, that the communications you were putting out there were clear and coherent? Um, I'd imagine if you're just starting out, it's already pretty stressful. And then all of a sudden, you've got all these people you're responsible for. So what would you do to keep your team calm in a time of crisis? I mean, as long as you're prepared, I mean, you maybe have prepared for something else, another type of crisis. And you probably, if you've prepared and have a crisis communication plan for any type of crisis in your back pocket, you'll feel all right about it you should be able to react calmly, clearly in a smart way. As a professional, you would hope that people would react that way. And I mean, you you really can't react until you have all of the information. You can't react when you're at an information disadvantage. And I think as communicators, we intuitively know that. And as long as you're honest, um, internally, externally, I think I think you're going to be fine. I mean, that's the most important thing. Just be honest. Sure. I think that's a, it's a great point to, to finish on, Tracy. So thank you. Thank you very much for, for sharing your expertise with us, with us all today. Thank you to the audience for tuning in. A big thanks to Tracy for sharing her time and expertise with us all today. If you've enjoyed listening, then please think about leaving a review on your podcast provider, share this episode on social media, or with a colleague you think will enjoy it. If you would like to learn more information about how to run your own podcast, then visit azonetwork.com forward slash podcasts. Our next guest will be Michelle Nichols. Michelle and I will be discussing culture and brand building and how you can create an authentic competitive advantage in a changing market. We hope you can join us then. Until next time, take care and thanks for listening.